Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, so we have had just a lot of hard news in our town. If you're, uh, especially if you're local here, you know, you're hearing just hard stuff, you know, uh, from situations of cancer and illness. And, and you know, we've had two mothers uh, in the state of despair are no longer with us in, in seven days, you know, with little kids, uh, you know. And those are just the stories we know about, you know. So that's, that's really hard, you know. That's, and that's in our little tiny, you know, 1,500-person community. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to lift those families up with us together, if you will. Uh, Lord, we just come to you again. We've, we, uh, we accept the good with the bad, uh, Lord, and all of us, each person in this room has had different kinds of suffering that we faced. And some certainly more than others. Um, but God, uh, right now there are some families in our little town that are really, really suffering and extended families that are far away and are wondering why and how. And God, uh, we can only lean on you uh, and fall on you in this. Uh, we trust that your mercy is new every morning. Uh, Father, we acknowledge that, it, that this hurts and that it's really hard uh, to walk through and to just um, uh, deal with as a community. So I pray, Lord, especially pray that you will use the members of this church and the others, the other believers in this town to bring your peace and your hope uh, into this place. And uh, God, this is a time to do that. And Lord, I pray that we'd bring more of it in coming weeks, Lord, that maybe uh, situations that are on the verge of despair that is there, Lord, would be avoided. So um, and we come to you just in a, a sad time. And, and Lord, I also uh, just reminded too of, we've been praying for Neil and he's had his reports back this week and um, clear on his throat, and so we're so thankful for that. Um, still some things to check out uh, in his body, so we just we just continue to lift them up. Um, Lord, be their rock. Lord, let us uh, depend on you um, and, and gather together as a community of believers and, and friends who are seeking you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. Hard stuff right now. You're, you're not going down with the kids? Okay. Well, you look young enough, but I don't know about Vince. Vince is right out of there. No offense, man. <laughs> I'm waiting for a comeback, but you can get, get me later. Okay. Yeah. Uh, this is that time of year where we're celebrating the, uh, the arrival of Christ. We remember that, and that's... That's good news being spoken into a, a tough world, certainly a tough world then and in a tough world now, clearly. Uh, was it coffee up at First Ascent with Trent the other day? We were talking, and, <laughs> and then right after we finished visiting, we were both going to just get a little bit of work done. So we're sitting there, but there's, only, there's a, a couple of women in, up there with us in the other end of the room, upstairs, if you know what I'm talking about. And one girl is just had a baby, and she's telling the pregnant girl all about this. And when I say all about this, I mean, 
every detail. I, I was like, oh my goodness. And Trent, so Trent sends me a little message on my phone. He goes, wow. You know, <laughs> can you work to this? I was like, because it was loud and it was amazing. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that was an announcement of birth, you know, of some, some sort. But we have a different announcement that we're celebrating. In fact, for the next three times we get together, today and then uh, Christmas Eve, and then next Sunday, we're going to do a little mini-series, I guess, where we're going to look at the responses of some of the people in the story of the arrival of the Messiah. So today we're going to look at this prayer that Mary shares, this, this song that she sings, like she doesn't sing it, but her words, that w- after she realizes what is actually happening, this is what her response is. And then we're going to look at the response, remember the shepherds when the angels come and, uh, and announce the birth of the baby, and we're going to hear about that and see how they respond. And then Sunday, that's going to be Christmas Eve, and then Sunday after Christmas, we're going to look at the uh, the song that Simeon sings, and he, he meets the young man uh, in, in Jerusalem. And so he has a lot of things to say about that. So we're just going to see these different responses to the Messiah and to his arrival. Uh, and it, Where we're going to start today, though, we're going to be in Luke 1, if you want to turn there, and we'll, we'll have it up on the board, too. But is that uh, Mary has been visited by this angel. This miraculous thing happens. And this angel speaks to her and says, you are going to bear the Messiah. You're going to be, and we all know this story. And part of understanding what happens in the context is really understanding who Mary is. And I think most of us have a grip on that, but it's hard to imagine, you know, she's like one of the younger kids that just walked out of here. But she's poor, and she has no status in the community. She's definitely of the lower caste, the lower class and so uh, she's also engaged. So, you know, becoming pregnant is very, this is a very taboo thing to happen in their culture. So every th- all things are stacked against, against Mary. And her response is to God, let, let this be to me as you have said. So she, she says, this is where I'm going to put myself. I'm going to take this. Now, she doesn't fully understand. But the angel suggests that her relative Elizabeth is going to have a baby too. And Elizabeth is, is advanced in age. And so she's, she's pregnant. And so Mary decides to go visit Elizabeth. And Elizabeth has some things to say. In fact, what Elizabeth says to her is in Luke one forty three, And it says, Why has God granted me the privilege of being with the mother of my Lord? So this relative who's much older says to this young girl, this child really, she says, how can I be even in the presence of the mother of my Lord? He's, he is here. And after this conversation, it seems that Mary gets an idea of what's really going on. Like it's confirmed there in this moment with Elizabeth and she wakes up to this, this thing that's a reality in her life. And that's where we're going to go today. We're going to see her response to that, this prayer. I think you could call it a carol, um, where she's saying some things in response to the arrival of the Messiah. It's in Luke one forty six that we're going to start. Just the words that she says. So if you read along with me. And Mary said, 
My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things in me. Holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. The rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This song, this is the main thing that this, this song is doing for us. It's painting a picture of who God is. What she is doing is she is, in this song, in this poem, she is drawing out for us a picture of who the God is. And what we're going to see is three things in here that are, and there's, there's so much in this passage, it's unbelievable. We're just going to look at three. Three things about him. One is his desire for relationship. Desire for relationship, that's one thing. Another thing we're going to see is his royalty. The royalty of God. And the last thing we're going to see is his redeeming purpose. Redemption is a part of who God is. So relationship, royalty, and redemption are the three things we're going to walk through as we just go through her, her words. And I want, to, I want to, when you come to something like this, you know, when I read those words, I, I hope you're thinking, well, okay, that's good, but what does it mean to me? What, well, how is this going to change me? What does this mean to my heart? What, you know, really, so what? I mean, this is good stuff, but why does this really matter to me? And so uh, the, the main thing that I want to suggest is that if you listen to her words and, and look at this as we're walking through it, if you will really try to get in touch with who the real God is. Because all of us, every single one of you, including myself, we come into this room, into this world, um, into our culture with ideas about who God is. We bring, um, we bring our history. We bring what we were taught, whether good or bad. We bring um, what we wish God was like. We bring reactions to what our dad was like or our mom or anything like that. We, and so we sort of amalgamate our idea of God. We synthesize all the ideas and we say, oh, this is what God is. This is who he is. This is what he's like. And it's, it's really important that we don't do that. But we all do. What we need to do is come in and say, who is God? And who better to tell us who God is than the mother of Jesus? If you, if you and I really are going to be honest about following God, about knowing God, then we, then we have to be honest. I mean, I know a lot of you, probably myself excluded, are really intellectual people. You are thinking people. You're smart. You're successful. You have, uh, you have made a way in this world and God has provided for you and, and he has gifted you and you are not just accepting stuff. You are looking into things deeply. And if you're going to be honest, can you really just make up a God? 
That means there's a whole bunch of gods. Everything can't be true. We all know, you're smart enough and I'm smart enough to know that everything cannot be true. Then there is no truth. So let's just take a moment and say, okay, what does Mary say about who God is? And let that inform us and then let's deal with that. Okay, so the first thing is that he is relational. And when, when I say relational, what I mean is that the supreme God of the universe, the creator of all things, actually desires to be in relationship with his creation, with his humans in his creation. That's, that is hard. If we really understand who God is, it's really hard to understand how that gap is, is closed. And I want you to see something in the passage. This is at the, fir- the first couple of verses, Mary does this. She uses a personal pronoun for herself. Several times she'll say, me and my. Uh, look at verse 46. Uh, she says, uh, my soul magnifies the Lord. That's the first thing, right? My soul magnifies the Lord. Now there's something really profound here that maybe it's easy to skip over. First, we have to remember uh, who Mary is, right? She's really the lowest of the low, okay? And, and these strata of culture were really important then, even more so than they are now in, in ours especially. So she's the lowest of the low. And somehow it matters, somehow it matters that her soul, the deepest part of who she is, the core of Mary, shines light on who God is. Think about that for a second. Somehow, the lowest of the low, it is impo- this is in the scripture. God is glorified by this, by the fact that her soul, no matter how low and how worthless in society she might have been, magnifies the Lord, matters to God. A God who is distant, who is disconnected, who doesn't care, who did things and ran away, doesn't care about being magnified by the soul of a nobody. Right? So when we're trying to understand who God is, that's a part of this relational thing. He, he is in, in desires to be in relationship with all people. The next thing she says in 47, she says, uh, my, again, you see these two pronouns for her, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Two things that, that I want you to see here. Um, she says, my spirit rejoices and rejoice isn't a word that we use a whole lot, right? I don't, it's kind of a church word. We all know what it means. If somebody says that they, if you hear somebody was rejoicing, you're like, for sure, I get that. Because it's so 100%. If you're rejoicing, it is big. It's good, right? You don't ever say, gay, yeah, we kind of rejoiced about this, right? You would never say that, right? Because rejoicing is a big thing. It's a full on, it's it's. It's huge. It describes something really deep and and amazing. And here's the thing that it says about God, is that this God is a, a place that human beings can find the deepest, most profound satisfaction in. Do you see? 
If her soul can rejoice in God, then God is a place where we can find the most profound satisfaction at the deepest core. Her spirit, remember her soul, the deepest part of her finds joy in who God is. that, That separates this idea of God from a lot of what we bring to the table and a lot of what we hear in our town, in our community, our world at large. And then she says that he is my savior. God is my savior. Now, this is, remember, this is before Jesus has sacrificed himself for this relationship to happen. What she is, what she is saying, think about this for a sec. If you have, when she says he's my savior, he, she doesn't mean that he um, got me out of a big, uh, you know, I was drowning and he saved me or that I was in a dangerous place and he got me out. That's not what she's talking about. What she's saying when she says Savior is she's saying that he actually took me out of a place where I did not have a relationship with him and put me into a place where I do. That's, that's what this saving is. It's not about things going better or being rescued from something. It's being pulled out of a broken relationship with God and put into one that is right. So you see, we're talking about this relationship idea. And when Mary says that he is my savior, what she means is that he has broken down the wall. And so there is now possible, it's now possible for me to have a relationship with him. And do you see how we're cutting a line about who God is out of this concept of, re, of this relational aspect of him? Uh, so right up front, she uses these, these pronouns, me and my, he's my savior, he's, he's done these things for me. But then the, the rest of the passage, she changes that all together and she focuses on him. So you'll see all this he and his. So we're going to turn there now because this is where we see this idea that God is royal, that he is royalty, that he is majestic, he is above all things. And it's something that's been, we've hit it a couple of times in Acts recently. It's something that's kind of rolling around in my head a lot. When, when you think about um, this idea of royalty that we just don't have, that there is this, if someone is royal, if Paul was royal, then whatever he said in, my, in our community, if he said, whatever he said would go, he would always be above me and I would have no recourse except to hope that he would possibly acquiesce to a request that I had. But this is so much bigger than that. The royalty of God is so, he is the create, he is above all things human. And this is, look at it together with me, together with me here. It looks at verse 49, she starts, she says, for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. This is where she changes over. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. So the first thing she does, she calls out the holiness of God. And when we say holiness, this is that thing that, that is the defining word that says God is, you could say W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy. He is holy other. He is completely separate from, so we have his attributes. He doesn't have our attributes. Okay, we, we have inherited things from him, but he is completely above and beyond us. He is, royal, he is in every way above us, which I'm saying is, means that he is royal. But, but holiness includes in it profound goodness, 
righteousness, and justice. It's not that he's just other and somebody else and somebody we can't know, but he is also, in that word holiness, includes the righteousness and goodness of God. That's what that word holiness, and when she says that, she means it in the fullest sense. He is good. He is perfectly good. And it's important for us to understand when we come to God, especially in times like this, when, we're, when suffering is happening, we have to know that foundationally God is good. He is holy, and what he does and how he acts and how he responds is always good. But she also says another thing right in there. She says that his mercy is for those who fear him, in verse 50. Mercy is a little bit hard for us to get in touch with because I think mercy is something we understand after we really get in touch with his holiness, with his otherness. Because that's where we find this huge gap covered by his mercy and that he reaches down to us, over to us, in mercy. And it it says, uh, this I think is pretty interesting. She says, and that mercy is reserved for those who fear him. It's delivered to those who fear him. Now, that's a hard, what, what does it mean to fear God? It's important to get this, I think. This doesn't mean fear like someone's over me and they're going to hurt me randomly at their whim. That's not what we're talking about. It's not fear of the unknown, fear of what might happen to me by this all-powerful ruler. That is not what this fear is about. This fear, a better way to say this, I think, is to say that it is a matter of respect. Because when we realize who he really is, then we will respect him for that. So when it says fear, it doesn't mean you need to be afraid, like there's um, something to be frightened of. It's not fright. It's respect, because where we are, and you see, you see it through this whole thing that she says, Mary is never unaware of her circumstance before God. Do you notice that as we've been reading this? She is always aware of his goodness, his greatness, his otherness, her humble position. But even in that humble position, he still cares about relationship with her. When uh, a few years ago, I don't remember how, how long it is now, it's been a, a bit, but not so long, Claire and I were going through just a heck of a rough patch in our marriage. And so... Uh, we decided we need to go to a counselor. And for me, and I don't know, you know, counseling is a really big part of who Obi Joyful is and we offer it free. If you need it, just know that it's out there. But for me, it was it a big step to go see a counselor. I don't know why. But things were hard enough that I was like, yes, we, we need to do this. So we decided to go together. And here's what I thought was going to happen. I thought we're going to go sit down with this counselor and he was going to say, Scott, yes, it is your fault. Um, I was, really, that's probably why I didn't want to go, because <laughs> I knew, and he said, I knew he was going to give me a list every time we sat down, as he sat behind his desk or whatever, and he was going to tell me, here's how you can fix this, here's what you can do to do right by Claire, and to respect her, and teach her, you know, be her friend, and whatever, so we went the first time, and we sat down, and he said something, it was a, a guy, and he said, well, tell me what's going on, 
and there was no desk between us or anything. We're sitting there. So we talked to him for 45 minutes or an hour. And, and then he said, okay, well, I'll see you. You know, let's get together in a week or something. And I was like, where's my list? <laughs> no list. So we went away. And I was a little confused, but we went back the next week and we sat down again. And he goes, well, tell me, tell me what happened today. What's, what's your day like? I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so we told him about our day. And we got done. And he said, all right, let's get together again in a week. Like, Come on, I got my doer. I got to know what I'm supposed to do. I got to check it off and show it to you so you can give me a grade. And Claire can tell you if I did it. Anybody been there with me before? Okay. So for a long time, and then he said, one time, this was a kicker. He goes, I want y'all to watch this movie. Go rent this movie and watch. I'm like, what? But when somebody tells you like that to watch a movie for a purpose, then you're like digging into it a lot more. And you're thinking about, and we both finished the movie. I'm like, you know, so. But, but here's what happened. Here, here's what happened. He never, ever, and I don't know how long we went. It went for quite a while. He never gave either one of us a list, not ever once. But over that period of time, I learned about Claire, and she learned about me in ways that were not possible before. For whatever reason, I don't know. And I began to understand who she was, and she began to understand who and why I did the things I did, and, and I understood why, and the things that were in her past, it kind of drove her a certain path, and certain reactions were, you know, related to that. And it, the way that this turns into, makes sense with, with when we're talking about God is that this God that we have wants a relationship with us. And it's important to really know who he is. And it's not about a list of things that you're going to do to get it right to be in his good graces. And that messes us up. We want to achieve and do, and be good enough, and all that stuff. It's about knowing him. And that's what Mary, this child, she seems to know who he is, right? And so there's this relationship. So he, he's relational. He's also royal. He's above all these things. And as we get to know him, we're just amazed by the fact that he would, in his holiness and goodness, still... Re- relate to us, and want to redeem us. And look at the, the end of her song. goes like this. 54 says, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. The word helping is the key word here. He's helped Israel. When, he said, when she says that, what she's talking about is that he has redeemed Israel. What all this is about, this coming of this baby and all, this is all about the redemption of Israel, this plan that has been along for all time. And you know, probably if you've been around the church very much, that God made a promise to Abraham that through his generations, the, the ones that would come after him, that all nations, all people, would have the opportunity to be redeemed, to know God, to be in relationship with him. And that's, uh, just, to, just to say quickly, a redeemer is someone who takes something of value 
and gives it to someone else to redeem something, right? So value is exchanged so something can be redeemed. And, and that's why this Messiah is coming. I, I don't think that Mary totally understands that. But when she says that what you've done, God, is you are helping Israel. You are helping all the generations, the, the nations of the world through Abraham. What you are doing is redeeming them. That was his promise to redeem. And that's, that's where we see that being redeemed, being reconciled or welcomed into a relationship with God, is not something that we earn. It's because of his promise. And this is just so critical. because she, she doesn't say, hey God, thank you for making me good enough so that I can be in relationship with you. Did, did she say that? She says, in fact, you're so good and I'm so low on my humble estate, but you still care that my soul magnifies you. She says, God, you have redeemed men into relationship with you forever. And one last thing that I want to say here, and I, it's right in the middle of the passage and it's, it'd probably be easy for me to skip over. But the question is, who does he redeem? Look back to verse 51. Because I think this is a little confusing in the passage. It seems to be about grace and that kind of thing. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. And he, she's saying who God redeems, right? And I think a good summary of that is to say that before this holy God, pedigree means nothing. What you have, what you have done, it's not rich, we're, just talk, we're not just talking about money. In fact, did you notice in there it says, he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. See, religion, just church, has taught us that only the good get to know God. Only the good enough get to know God. And we bring that because we're all trying to measure our relationship with God, right? We're all measuring that all the time with others. This is how we operate. It's broken. Religion says that only the good will be in relationship with God and the bad will not. But Christianity says no. It's not about that. It's those who know that they are not good enough. Those who think that they are good enough are scattered. Those who find themselves to be good enough and to know enough about God and how to know him, those are the ones who are scattered. Those are the rich, those are the proud. But those of us who know that we are not good enough, do you see the beauty of the gospel? It's not about achievement. It's not about pedigree. It's not about any of that stuff. It's knowing that you need a relationship with the one true God. And he has made a way for that to happen through this baby that we're celebrating this week. 
So really, I sincerely hope that as you look back at this passage, as you think about what we've talked about, that you will be um, just aware of who the one true real God is from the words of someone who had a pretty good idea from this child. And I hope that you'll see his desire for relationship, his amazing royalty, his majesty, and the fact that he is, this whole story is about redeeming you, giving something of value, great value for each one of us. Let me pray, and we'll go out. Father, I I just simply thank you for the truth that is revealed in these really such simple words. God, they're so deep. Um, Lord, I just am blown away by that first line that her soul magnifies you. God, that such a person's soul matters. Um, Lord, it just tells me it doesn't matter what we think about ourselves or what we've been taught about ourselves or anybody said about us, God, that between you and me and you and each person in this room, it's not about how good we are. It's just knowing that we need you. And God, by faith only, not by works, then can we um, step across that line of faith into relationship with you. That isn't, we can't do enough good stuff to merit the grace, the goodness, or to merit the merit relationship with a perfect God. But you give, you give that relationship freely, and we thank you. Lord, I thank you for each person that's here. Um, Lord, may we just in the next few moments just hang out together, have fun. Lord, protect us as we uh, go out on the, on the snow and up to the mountain wherever we're headed today. Help this week to be a special one as we remember what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.